welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Alrighty. How's everybody's summer going? I visited my son in DC last week. And tomorrow, I'm taking my daughter to see Santana along with Earth, Wind, and Fire, a concert that I unfortunately missed on my first opportunity about 40-some years ago. And if you were grooving to either of those back in the day, today's guest is someone you should pay attention to. And if you're among my younger audience, you should pay attention anyway because it's all relevant regardless of your age. And when you're done here, you should go out and listen to both of those bands on vinyl. Now, let's jump into it. All right, today my guest is Darcy Bevilacqua. She is a career coach and executive recruiter for senior marketing executives over 50, so senior in both senses of the word, who want to shorten their time to success. Darcy, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Terrific. Thank you for having me. All right, so give the audience, of course, today we're talking about is career situations, maybe changing jobs, all those things uh, that are happening right now. Give the audience a little context around your background. How did you arrive at being both a recruiter and a career coach for marketers over 50? Well, I began my career in marketing and sales. Uh, I started on the client side at places like American Express and Revlon and Citibank. And then I went into consulting and I worked for large consulting firms such as Accenture. I worked for Merkle and Experian. And I absolutely love marketing. I loved everything about it. I thought I like the people, I like the process, I like the technology. But I was a road warrior. And one day I went for a routine visit to the doctor and he told me, your blood pressure is so high, I should hospitalize you. And you are gonna have to find a way to manage your life differently or you will be dead. So there I was at the age of 54, and I was being forced to change my career. And frankly, I was like terrified. I thought, but marketing is all I know, and I absolutely love it. Why am I going to have to change what I'm doing? So I decided I would start my own journey to figure out what should I do with all my great marketing skills. So I started interviewing other people who knew me well to get feedback about what they thought I was really good at and what they thought I should be doing instead. And I made myself a commitment that said, I'm going to try a lot of new things, even if I don't think they're the right fit, but I'm going to time box it so I don't spend a lot of time doing this thing. And uh, so I got a job offer as an executive recruiter. And my first reaction, of course, was, oh, no, no. People who are executive recruiters are people who can't can't do marketing. (laughs) But since I promised myself I'd try it, I actually said, all right, I'm going to try this job for, and I'll do one search. And at the end of that, I'll probably quit, but I'll do one. And it turned out that the client was somebody I'd done consulting for before. And I loved the search. It was really a ton of fun because I really understood the job in detail. I actually told the client I thought the job description was poorly written. The way it was organized wasn't right. The goals didn't make any sense to me. The staffing wasn't good. And the client, because they knew me, was willing to change all of those things. I hired them a great person who got promoted in under six months. And I thought, well, this is more fun than I thought. And you really get to use your marketing skills and you get to use your consulting skills all in one spot. So I found I was actually really successful, even though I wasn't the typical recruiter. And I loved it. But then COVID came and I found that 
companies weren't hiring ex executive recruiters to help them find jobs, but people were calling me and asking for help finding a new job. So I kind of got dragged into coaching. And I really, so I started by saying, I'm going to help everybody. So I gave everybody an hour of my time to give them some coaching. And I realized an hour isn't enough to really help anybody. So I should really give them more of my time and dedicate it to a few people. So that's how I actually got started in coaching. It was more because I had clients calling and saying, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And I had great success getting everybody placed. So I actually found out that I was pretty good at coaching. And what was good was I understood them from a marketing point of view. I knew what employers were looking for in candidates from executive recruiting. And I was really able to coach people knowing what they, who they were and what they wanted to find a job that was a good match. So it was kind of a funny path to get here, but I think I'm in the right place. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. First of all, the, the thing that stood out to me is when you were told you had to change your job and the first thing you did, it sounds like, was go interview everybody about what you're good at. I mean, I'm sure that's a thing that you tell all your clients to do, right? I and Actually, it, it is. It sounds like the... <laughs> It's a natural, the fact that that was natural for you to do. I mean, maybe in the back of our heads, we know to do that, but you just went and did it. So, Well, the same thing any marketer would do. If you're trying to launch a new product, you go ask your customers, what do they think of this product? <laughs> you know, And if they don't I like it, that. you think about changing it. So it's really the same marketing kind of thinking and way you do other things. So it's very natural for marketers like us to think that way. Yeah, that's I love tying that together. So what's the state of search today, both for employers and for those looking for jobs? And I realize we might be in a bit of flux right at this moment. <laughs> we are very much in flux. So employers are having a really hard time finding the talent they need. And the primary reason for employers is, is actually one, they say they really want somebody right away, but their own internal processes are so broken that they have trouble getting candidates through the pipeline in any reasonable period of time. And so many times they lose great candidates because they take too long to make a decision about who they want to hire. The second issue that most employers have is their compensation bands are probably too low. And so they're having trouble because most companies are giving a 3.5% raise this year and most job switchers are getting almost a 15% raise. So it, it means that compensation for most companies is kind of out of line. Client, employers haven't really figured out that what employees want now is actually completely changed. And so for them, most employees would rather have flexibility even than compensation. And flexibility means being able to work the hours they want to, being able to come to the office when they want, not having to go to meetings all day, and being able to have some flex time to take care of your own needs and your family's needs, and they're not making those adjustments properly. And then companies who used to think that employees were just a necessary evil are kind of getting their ass kicked because because now if you don't have the right talent and you don't have the right kind of help, you really can't grow your company. So I think they're waking up to a new reality that no, people are not completely interchangeable. No, they're not a commodity product. And if you really want to get the best talent, you have to start treating people better or they're not going to come. Wow. Yeah. I love all of that. But I want to go back again to the very first thing because not a day goes by that I don't see somebody on LinkedIn talk about 
the, a lengthy interview process and no updates and that whole bad experience when you're trying to bring people to your company, how, what is that a symptom of what is the broken system look like? And what would you tell those companies about how to fix it? Okay. So there's, there's two or three parts of the system that are broken. One, most of the time people submit their resumes for the, what they call as an automatic tracking system. And in most of the ATS systems, they're run by a computer and a computer is coded with keywords with the same keywords are in the job description. And if there's not enough keywords in your resume, it will reject your resume. Automated systems reject 75% of all people who apply. So one of the problems in the beginning gets to be that good quality people can get rejected by the system and no human ever looks at them. So they're losing a lot of great talent that way. The second problem is that internally, HR usually doesn't have a lot of power and authority, and they actually have trouble scheduling qualified candidates with the right people they need to see inside the organization to get approved. And the third problem gets to be that now that the companies have gotten nervous about hiring talent and they've had a lot of turnover, they put more interviews on the schedule. So instead of being able to interview with one or two people and get hired, you now have to interview with four, five, and six. So that's compounding the problem and making it worse. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, everybody's too busy and it's it's easy to push off something that, I mean, I think I experienced that myself when I was going through a hiring process on as a hiring manager. And it's not always on the top of the list, even though it probably should be. And then, yeah. So from say, the employee, busy. for if you're a job seeker, the way you have to navigate this world has also really changed. So one of the things that you need to do is be prepared in a different way to navigate the system. Because in the old ways of navigating the system primarily was you knew somebody at the firm, they invited you in, you had a couple of conversations, you decided if you liked it, that person had worked with you previously and vouched for you and you were done. But that is not the current system. So when if you're a job seeker now, the, the current process really seems very drawn out and very complex. Um, and so it's very frustrating to people. So one of the things you have to do is be a lot more flexible. I, I had a, a client and she had been laid off. And so she joined a startup and she thought this was going to be terrific. And uh, she was a media salesperson with expertise in healthcare. And the first thing that she needed to do was improve her interviewing skills and her LinkedIn profile, both of which have gotten much more important than they used to be. And so she started interviewing for jobs. And the first company that she really was so excited about, she came in number two. And a lot of our constituents are going to interview for their ideal job and come in as number two. And so she was just totally uh, discouraged and demoralized. But she really felt like she could help the company. And I told her, Go talk to the CEO and tell the CEO what you think you can bring to the table, even though you didn't get the job, and offer to help them by being a consultant to show them that you actually can bring value in a different way. And so she talked to the CEO. He agreed to give her a chance to do some consulting. She didn't have a consulting background, but I said, listen, I can help you set up the consulting parameters and explain to you how the process works, and you just do the work. So we worked together, and she did that. At the end of the assignment, the CEO loved her so much that he hired her for the VP of marketing job, gave her a $100,000 raise, and, you know, and now she has the trust of the board of directors, and she's thrilled. But she wouldn't have gotten that without kind of pushing back, 
saying that she really had value and then showing the company how she could bring value to them in a way they weren't even thinking about. So the lessons learned were one, if you're doing, if you're looking for help, if you're doing a job search, you might need some help. And that could be, you know, learning how to do consulting, learning how to interview, learning how to write your LinkedIn skills. Two, you really need to know what you want for a job and where to look because you're going to waste a lot of time otherwise. Three, you have to be able to articulate your value. Four, you have to be prepared. And by say being prepared, I'm saying be prepared when you go for a job interview of knowing what questions they're going to ask and knowing what questions you want to ask. When you're asked to make a presentation, when you're in the finals, make sure you do your homework and you do a great presentation. You have to keep your energy high and positive, and you have to be willing to take a risk that you wouldn't normally take to show people that you're the real deal. And wow. if you're willing to do those things, you'll probably find a really great job in a company that will really value you for exactly who you are and what you know how to do. Yeah, that's a good reminder. And we're talking about leaders. I mean, that's what we're looking for here, right? <laughs> All those things you describe is somebody that, you know, those are leadership skills as well. So apparently a lot of people got a new job in the last year. A lot of them are looking again. That is true. How, why is that happening? And, and what, how should we think about that? Well, I think the real reason is because most people start by thinking, I don't really like my current job. So they, they don't feel valued where they are now and or maybe they were didn't get the promotion that they were looking for. And so you're beginning to feel like, I'm not going to go anywhere in my current job. I might even get laid off. I might as well look. And instead of thinking through what is you really didn't like about your current job, you think, I'm just going to look for a great job for more money. That's what most people think. And so you really can find the same job you have now for more money. And if you don't do a lot of work, the most likely job you're going to get is exactly the same job you've had now because that's what people think you're qualified to do. But if you haven't really thought through what's making you miserable, you will repeat and have the same job just at a different place. So you change the name of your boss, or you change the name of the brown spots, but it won't be any better. So one of the things you as a job seeker need to do is really start to think through what is it that I really want in a job? What is making me unhappy now? Is it the scope of the job? Is it the culture? Is it the um, lack of flexibility? Is, is it not enough collaboration or teamwork? Not enough creativity? You need to really look inside and figure out what are your important skills and what motivates you to keep happy in a job? And once you know those things and you set your career path, it's much easier to look for those in the new opportunity. So if, if you know what you want and you know what you're good at, you should be asking questions when you're inter being interviewed to be sure that it's a good match for you and that you're going to be a good fit for the job and you're going to therefore thrive. And if you don't do your homework, most likely you're going to take whatever problems you had before and just bring them to the new job. So the part of the responsibility is for the job seeker to remember it's always a two-way street. They're interviewing you, but you're interviewing them to make sure that you actually find the right job opportunity that's a really good fit for you. So you know you're going to be happy and you're going to be motivated and you're going to enjoy working there. So, and it, the company is supposed to be spending more time trying to help you figure out those things, but in general, they don't. So I would say there's more emphasis on the job seeker to ask a lot of questions. And when you don't ask questions, 
you really don't know what you're walking into and the chances of you being happy aren't that good. So focus on being the best you, know what motivates you, know what kind of environment you're going to be successful in, and be sure you screen for that before you take the job. And then you're likely to be successful and you're likely to, to be enjoy what you actually do. Otherwise, you're going to be in the same situation three months from now as where you were in the previous job. Not happy, not feeling fulfilled, and looking again. And in fact, more than a third of the people that switched jobs last year are already looking again. Right. And do you think that's atypical or we've seen that because the great resignations made all of that so much more visible because it's kind of a neat, this COVID has put everything in the news and that's one of the things, right? Well, I I agree. And so (laughs) I think that actually the work world has really actually changed. And it's because there's been so much chaos and uncertainty that most everybody feels like this is going to be, there's a new normal. They're not quite comfortable about what that new normal looks like, but they already know that the rate of change is dramatically accelerating. And we as humans hate change, and yet we're all forced to deal with it. And so everybody's trying to redefine what work means to them and how work should look. And so part of what's happening is we're going to actually see a different definition of work than we have in the past. So people are really worried and scared because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so what that means is many people are starting to say, since I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, I'm going to live in the present moment. And so that means I'm going to, I want what I want now and I'm not going to wait. So there's some emphasis on getting what you want sooner and not having a promise like used to be a lot of emphasis on, and your long-term compensation, if you stay three to five years, most employees don't care about that anymore because they're really looking short-term I don't even know if I'm going to, you know, survive COVID and be around three years from now. So their emphasis on what their way they're measuring success is really different. And since the world is so uncertain, they really want to have more flexibility to spend time doing the things they love to do, spending more time with their family, more time with their friends. And so I think the idea of spending all your hours at work has gotten to be unpopular. And the idea of having a more balanced lifestyle has gotten to be more the norm, and employees are pushing more for that. And actually, employees will take flexibility over compensation because it's gotten to be such an important variable. And I would say the last thing that's happening is everybody's worried that climate change and war and hunger and inflation are all happening, and all these things make you worry about what kind of world we're really going to live in. And so most people are getting to feel, I need to be able to do something to give back to the world and make it a better place because in the directions that we're going now, this is not going to be the kind of world I want myself or my children to live in. So I need to figure out how I can make a difference in the world, how I can make a contribution, and what that's going to look like. And people are putting more emphasis on giving back or doing things that are important and personally meaningful to them rather than just collecting a paycheck. And that's what's causing the great resignation. And the idea that work used to be the center of our lives. And now I think people are thinking of work is not the center of my life. My family and my friends are my center of life. And work is a means to support that lifestyle. And I'm going to have several different jobs and several different chapters. And I'm no longer thinking I'm going to join one company and be there for my life. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of good news. Significant change. 
in that. I mean, I think uh, the drive towards balance is a positive thing. And then when you add on top of that, the fact that many people are looking for jobs where they can make the world a better place. Hard to argue with that. I do think it's a good sign. And I think we're actually almost more coming to the European model slightly, where where people actually didn't live to work, but work to live. <laughs> yeah. So. I never thought I'd see it. Let's talk about I challenges <laughs> for marketers over 50 making a career move. What are they experiencing? So one, one of the, there's several different challenges for marketers over 50 to make a career move. And I think a lot of those, so I'm going to give you an example of a real client that I work with. He was a senior executive. He'd been in the retail catalog business for 21 years and he'd acquired several brands. He'd worked his way up from the bottom, just as people used to do. And now he was at a senior level and running a division. But he wasn't chosen to run the whole company, and therefore he decided that he should leave and look for a more senior job someplace else. He, when I first met him, he, was, um, he wasn't clear about where he was going or how to communicate his value. And he was a ni nice Midwesterner, but he was a white male with a chip on his shoulder. He sounded a bit arrogant when actually he was just frightened about what the future was going to look like. And he knew he needed to change career direction, but he wasn't, and he knew he was going to move away from retail, but he didn't know where he wanted to go to. And through mutual friends, he was actually introduced to a small family-owned investment company who uh, specialized in, in finding distressed businesses. And he actually was able to show how he could use his skills from buying distressed brands and turning them around. And he was actually able to join the firm because he had strengths and measurement. He knew how to turn a company around. He had a disciplined approach to evaluating companies. He understood metrics and testing. And, and he was able to partner with this new firm in a way that they hadn't thought about to really bring value. And so he really he ended up with a long-term equity play that's gonna net him about $3 million more than he had before. But what he learned was he won. If you're a senior executive, you have to prove to people how you have these skills. Don't just say, I'm a really great marketer. I'm really good at social marketing. I'm really good at this. kind." You have to give people proof and give them examples of how you demonstrate value. You have to talk about measurable results. You have to pick stories from your career of things that you've done that are recent problems that people are actually solving. So Instead of him talking about turning around a brand 20 years ago that no one cares about, he really talked about growing his business and doubling his ROI, which every business is interested in. And instead of talking about any of his direct mail experience, which no one cared about, he spent his time talking about leading a diverse workforce. What happens when you acquire another company and you have to integrate the cultures? And so by being able to take what he already knew, the skills he already had, and make them relevant to today's environment, he was seen as somebody who was engaged and excited and enthusiastic. And therefore, he came across as a modern marketer who's really exciting to people. So I would say the biggest thing right now is, I know people are scared. Try not to let fear hold you back. And when you talk about yourself, talk about your accomplishments and how you able, were able to figure things out and how you were able to make a difference. Use vocabulary that's current. So don't talk about direct mail and don't talk about things that people cared about 20 years ago. 
talk about the metaverse or NTFs or e-commerce or other or ROIs or other things that people are more relevant. And be careful about what references you use because people who talk about references in the 90s seem really out of date. And I mean, I actually am old enough that I know where I was when Kennedy died. But if I ask people that I'm working with that, they don't even know <laughs> that that's something that you should be thinking about. So right. you really want to make sure that your references and your, and your stories are current and that instead of talking about how great you are, you talk about how you can contribute value and you give demonstrable answers to show the value that you can provide in concrete ways that people can understand how that would apply to their business. You can do it. It's just a little bit different way of thinking. You mentioned getting past the fear. So the next question is about fear that many of us have. It's called imposter syndrome. <laughs> and, you know, it's surprising, but even people over 50 feel like they're about to be found out, right? <laughs> so it how does. do you help it's folks get past that? It's, it's a large portion of the work population. I think it's almost at least 30% of people really feel that they have imposter syndrome. And so most people have imposter syndrome at times. And imposter syndrome is feeling like you're not qualified to do what you're doing. And I think the reason we all feel that way is because the change, the pace of change has gotten so extreme that we are all really forced to learn something new every day. And so you can't be experts at all of these things because... In fact, you only heard about them maybe even in the last year or so, so it's impossible to be an expert. So what that does is that drives kind of you feeling not confident and or you may be a perfectionist and want to make sure you have it exactly right. And for people who are perfectionists, imposter syndrome is very common. And you also can get promoted and now you're running a new area where you just don't really have the skills. So one of the first things you want to do is stop and say, identify the situations where you feel like you're an imposter. So what are the situations that cause you to feel insecure, uncomfortable, not know what you're doing? And then when you can identify what those situations are, start to think about what are the common threads to those so I can start to change it around. So for example, if you might be invited to give a board of directors meeting and you're going to be a VP of marketing and you're going to present at the meeting, and of course, you're a bit nervous because you don't go in front of the board every day. So when you're preparing for the meeting, instead of thinking, I'm not qualified, you want to start creating a list of all the ways you are qualified. So you might say, I'm going to talk to them about the new market segments, and I know more about our market and our customers than anybody else in the company. Two, I've spoken at other senior management functions, and I've always done well. So I expect that in the board meeting, I'm also going to do well. Three, I intend to practice my talk so I'm well prepared and I'm not going to be nervous for the meeting because I'm going to know what I'm going to talk about. And if I should get a question that I don't have an answer, I can always get back to them later with the, at the end of the week with another answer. And I've been invited to this meeting to share my knowledge with the board because they want to learn more about the kinds of things that I know. And I love teach, teaching people about marketing because I'm an expert and I've always enjoyed it. And then you want to practice your speech out loud so that you know how you sound and you're logical and you have a logical way of presenting the information. So if you're preparing and if you tell yourself, I'm good, I'm qualified, the questions you're going to ask are things I really know about and they'll be anxious to hear about it, when you get to the meeting, you won't be so nervous. 
Now, you still will have some, some nerves. Everybody does. So you want to do the standard things you do before any kind of a speech. You'll want to calm yourself down. You want to get yourself centered. You want to do some deep breathing. You might even just remind yourself, I'm good. I'm qualified. I've been in my job for a long time. I've had a successful career path. So that you, when you step into the room, you feel confident and ready to answer people's questions. And you're really going to be fine. So instead of saying, why am I not qualified, really focus on why am I qualified to do this. And if you can figure out what triggers you to feel insecure or what triggers you to feel uncomfortable, you can start practicing in those areas so you don't feel uncomfortable so much of the time. And I think you'll find out that you'll have much more success and it'll start to get a little easier. That doesn't mean that every day will be easier. Every day there'll still be new challenges. But if you can start to create some plans and ideas for how you overcome them, it won't come up as frequently for you. And eventually it'll start to be more manageable. Nice. All right. Let's wrap up with one more question. I think this is a, a perfect question to end on. So you mentioned that the job search is often loneliness followed by bad news until <laughs> the good news arrives. I mean, that is what a job search is, right? You're it by is. yourself looking for stuff. No, 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 until you get the yes. So what's your recommendation for your clients who are going through that? If there's, you need support. It's a, it's a complicated process and it's long and it's demoralizing. So you need support. And one support is you just have to have at least a few friends that love you for who you are. And you need to be scheduling time on your calendar at least twice a week to talk to somebody who values you and loves you to remind you that you're a good person and you have a lot of good skills. And I actually encourage all of my clients to actually volunteer for something in their community. Because when you volunteer and you give something to other people, people praise you, they thank you, they tell you how valuable they are, and you start to feel valuable again yourself, as opposed to feeling like, oh, I'm looking for a job and I'm just a loser and can't find something. So find some activities that you can do every week where you're getting reinforcement for what you are as a good human being. And not just for your family, but outside of your family connections. And it could be your, the schools you went to, whatever your hobbies are, whatever your personal interests are. But do those things to keep yourself psychologically feeling fulfilled and whole so it's not so scary. And then if you need a coach or you need somebody to help you, ask for help. You don't necessarily need a ton of help. Most people I meet need help in two places. I'd say the primary two places are one, getting clear on their our career direction and what they really want to go look for and understanding what motivates them and drives them so they know where to look. And the second skill most people I know need a little bit of help with is interviewing. They, there's a technique called STAR, which helps you frame how you answer an interview question. And it doesn't take that long to learn it. But as soon as you learn it, it's much easier for you to answer interview questions and excel at it. And in the beginning, it, you're just rusty because you don't know how to do it, so you need to be taught. So I would say you have to do those two, th two things. So keep, keep yourself positive, keep getting reinforcement, ask for help when you need it, and create interim goals so you feel like you're making progress. If you say my goal is only just, it's, I, I didn't succeed until I got a signed contract and I know my start date, it's going to feel like a long time. Instead, set goals for your week. Like I'm going to talk to two people every week to find, to look for more job opportunities. I'm going to comment on LinkedIn once a week 
about what other people are doing. So those are all concrete tasks that you can put in your task list. So you know that they're all leading you to where you want to go and you feel a sense of accomplishment at the end of the week, even if you don't have a job offer in hand or you don't have a serious interview in hand. But if you don't do those kinds of things, you start getting discouraged and feeling down. And it's pretty hard for you to pick yourself up without creating interim things that make you feel good about yourself without doing other things in your life that make you feel good. Maybe it's exercising. Maybe it's joining a walking group. It's singing in your choir. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's something that you're doing that's making you feel good about yourself and what you have to offer. Yeah, without doing those things, it may be pretty easy to spiral if you didn't continue to do the things that bring you joy. So, Darcy Bevilacqua, where should people, um, how can people get in touch with you or where should we send them if they want a little more information? You can find me on LinkedIn at Darcy Bevilacqua and or you can email me at Darcy at successworkscx.com. I'm happy to help you in any way that I can. And I'm sure that you're going to be successful in your career search. And even if you're feeling a little bit down right now, there is a path to the future and almost everybody's going to get there successfully. And you should believe in yourself enough to hold out for what is right for you. Don't settle. Be successful. Don't settle. Nice. All right. Well, Darcy, thank you so much for all of that. I think that it's going to be really valuable to everybody listening. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. That's all good advice for companies and folks looking for a job. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, I enjoyed doing my first live stream on LinkedIn with Stephen Marchant, where we were talking about gap selling to academic scientists. I've got the video done and keep an eye out for that. I'm going to publish it on my Substack later this week. And I'll be back in two weeks with an episode about managing distributor relationships. Bye-bye. Oh, and don't forget to tell your colleagues about this podcast. Thanks. Thanks.